So, we have been in a series called Christian the last three weeks. This is week number four, and we, um, we're just, we're, we're pushing on through, and I don't know if this has been uh, helpful or if it's been boring. Maybe you've been offended by it, you know, like if, if this has offended you, like just hang on because it's about to get crazy next week. So um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you've been bored, make sure you come back because it's going to be good. We're concluding next week. Next week's our last series. So um, like don't, don't, uh, or our last message in the series, don't, don't give up on us yet. So anyways, the last few weeks we've been talking about this term Christian. We've been talking about this word Christian and the fact that Jesus never referred to his followers as Christians. He referred to them as something else entirely. He never once called his followers Christians. It's not in there. Um, he called them something else. And in fact, Christian was a derogatory term used by people outside of the church to talk about people inside of the church. Does this ring a bell? You guys remember this? Yes? Okay, and, it's, and, and followers of Jesus just owned it. They wore it as a badge of honor. But the problem with this term, this term Christian is that it's undefined. It, there's not really a definition for what Christian is in Scripture. And so you can claim to be a Christian and believe anything. You can claim to be a Christian and behave any way you want because nobody's going to be able to look at Scripture and say, no, Christians don't act this way or Christians don't think this way, Christians don't speak this way because it's not in there. It's undefined. And so that's kind of what we've been talking about today or this, through this series. So um, Jesus actually gave his followers a label. Um, or maybe in more relevant terms today, Jesus gave his, his, um, he gave his followers a brand. He did. He gave his followers a brand, and a brand that they took so seriously. Uh, like, look, look what they did. They have, we have a slide. Uh, put up the slide of the buildings. So he's going to filter through some of these, but these are buildings that exist today in Rome. And I don't know if you can see, at the top of all the buildings are crosses. Now, those aren't just, you know, a couple pictures or a few pictures of, of buildings with crosses. Almost every building or almost every structure in Rome has a cross fixed to it. Now, that's, that's kind of crazy, right? Like, to, to think about that. Even, even in the Roman Colosseum, the emperor's gate has a cross. The slave gate has a cross in it. There's crosses everywhere in Rome. I mean, just adorned on everything. And they're not like wooden crosses. They're permanently fixed to the buildings. Now, you might say, well, well Ryan, like they have to have crosses. This is where the Pope lives, you know? Like, like I mean, you might, you might think that. And before, before you like think that, I want to take you back with me just a second. In your mind, travel back to, I mean, obviously imaginary, but travel back to 64 AD, Okay. 64 AD in Rome, the Roman emperor Nero just burned down the city of Rome and he needed a scapegoat because everybody was mad about it. He needed a scapegoat. So he blamed it on this, um, this Jewish like knockoff sect of people that, that were being called Christians. He blamed it on them and he said, let's kill them. And everybody rallied around that. They gathered up as many Christians as they could and they executed them. They, they would uh, bring them to Nero's, it was called Nero's Circus. And it wasn't an actual circus, it was more like an arena, but they would um, set them on fire they would feed them to lions. They would torture them. They would persecute them, behead them. They would crucify. I mean, they were cruel to these Christians because the Christians burned down Rome. 
they didn't that's not really what happened but Nero just needed a scapegoat so this was this was happening right is unimaginable now imagine with me if you can we go back in time when all this is going on go just outside the city of Rome to a farm and behind the farmhouse there's a barn and inside the barn in the back of the barn behind like all the hay there's three Christian families hiding for their lives. Imagine this. All the, all the brutality, all the death, and all that's going on, and they're hiding outside the city for their lives. And imagine that we sit down with them, and we have a conversation with them. We tell them this. Hey, one day, Rome is going to be adorned with crosses. It's going to be crosses that are permanently fixed to every structure, every highway, every bill. It's, it's going to be adorned with crosses, but not crosses that, that represent punishment. It's going to be crosses that represent the crucifixion of the man you worship. Jesus of Nazareth. These crosses are all going to represent him, and it's all going to represent, uh, it's all going to represent worship to him. Now imagine what they'd be thinking in their heads. You are crazy. There's, Rome is forever. There's no, there's no way. There's no way this small group of Christians, this small group of disciples, this small group of Jesus followers is ever going to be able to get Rome to surrender to us. We're a, hand group, we're a handful of people, and we're getting smaller by the day because they're executing us. Can you imagine? But one day, one day, they, I mean, they, they couldn't wrap their, hands, their heads around that one day the movement was going to be so broad that it actually changed the world, the world. And actually, there are more crosses in Rome on display representing Jesus in, in, in that city than any other city in the whole world. That's, that's true. One day, Christians from all over the world, believers from all over the world, will travel to Rome to memorialize what your Christian brothers and sisters are going through right now. Like, imagine having that conversation with these people in that time and telling them this. Like, they wouldn't be able to wrap their heads around it. And yet, within 300 years, Rome was transformed. Rome adopted Christ and adopted uh, the way is what they called it. They didn't call it Christianity. They called it the way. Rome adopted the way as their, their primary like religion, their primary faith. And, and there were crosses everywhere. And they all represented Jesus. How did that happen? How did that happen? I'll tell you how it didn't happen. It didn't happen because the, the group of Christ followers like settled for being Christians. It didn't happen because the group of, of Christ followers like just simply wanted to get to heaven one day. It happened because the disciples of Jesus embraced the teachings of Jesus and they lived it out. They took it so seriously at such a significant level, uh, the, the labels that he gave them. It didn't matter what other people thought. It only mattered what he thought. They took it that seriously. And over time, it changed the world literally so what are you doing what am i doing what are we doing that that they can do that like we can do that what are we doing why would we settle for christian why would we settle for just being christian which we can't even define when jesus has 
way more specific instructions for us. So today, I want to read the speech that got this whole thing going. I want to read the, the, the speech that, that set off this whole movement. And um, everyone rallied around this one speech. And you've probably heard this before. It's, this isn't going to be groundbreaking. You've heard this. You've probably heard it preached many times. Um, but I want to I look at it from a little bit different, uh, a little bit different of an angle today. Um, because I think it's, it's important. I think it's, it's, it's really, really important. So let me set it up for you. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of people gathered. And uh, Jesus says, like, this is the moment to lay the groundwork. And if I'm going to quote Jesus directly, this is the moment to get this thing popping. That's what Jesus said. It's, I mean, it's not, I'm just, it's joke, guys, joke. Jesus says, I'm going to introduce the value system, the worldview, the habits, the behaviors that are going to change everything and turn the world upside down. Are you guys ready for this revolutionary speech that changed everything? You guys ready? Okay. This is the reason you're here today. This is the reason I'm here today is because of this speech. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, so really quickly, before I go on, um, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason it's called the Sermon on the Mount, it says it in, in verse 1, he went up on the mountain. He went up on the mountain to talk out, because there were so many people that needed to be able to hear him. He went up on a mountain and started kind of preaching. This is Jesus' first recorded sermon. Uh, and it's widely known as the Sermon on the Mount. So seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth uh, and taught them saying, now, now this is where I give you the revolutionary, like world changing, shut down the Roman Empire speech. Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus, can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah, what do you got? Meek? Seriously? Meek? Like, you really think we're going to be able to take back our land by being meek? By being humble? We've, we've been under Rome's thumb for years. You, meek? Have you not been paying attention? Meek hasn't gotten us very far, Jesus. Jesus goes on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus, I have another question. Peacemakers? Really? Do you know what happened to people who try to make peace with Rome? They get swallowed up. Rome, Rome dominates them. Rome overtakes them, and they just become another cog in the Roman Empire. Peacemakers? This is, this is what you have for us, Jesus? And he goes on, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For, they, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yeah, I think the crowd was just like this. <laughs> Listening to Jesus, they was just like this. They're looking at him like, maybe he's going to do a miracle or something. Like, what is this? This is the revolutionary speech that's supposed to set it off, that's supposed to, that's going to change everything. What is this? So Jesus, let me, let me, if I can for a second, let me summarize this. Poor, sad, meek, righteous, merciful, pure, peaceful, persecuted, insulted people waiting for a reward in heaven. That's who we are. That's who we are, Jesus. Poor, sad, meek, righteous, Merciful, pure, peaceful, persecuted, insulted people waiting for a reward in heaven. You think this is going somewhere? And yet, 300 years later, Jesus is everywhere. Jesus' teachings are everywhere. No one in Rome is worshiping Jupiter anymore. No one in Rome is worshiping Apollo anymore. No one in Rome is worshiping Juno anymore. They're worshiping Jesus. So Jesus backs up. He says, you know, know what? Forget it. Forget it. Like all that stuff I just said, you don't need to worry about it. You're, you are all that. You're poor. You're sad. You're meek. All that. You're, you're that. But I'm going to give you two things, two word pictures that are going to help you remember who you are. Two, two things that, that you need to hang on to and you need to remember this is who you are. I'm going to put it in practical terms for you. This is his next phrase. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it, its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except uh, to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Everybody in Jesus' audience knew, knew what salt was, knew what it was used for. Everybody. Everybody knew what it was for. Salt was a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers. They had salt, and they used salt to preserve. Here's the, the definition of a preservative. A substance added to food to prevent decomposition due to chemical change or bacterial action. Where there's no preservative, things stink. Where there's no preservative, things decompose. Where there's no conservative, things rot. What's Jesus saying? You are the preservative of the earth. You are the preservative of the earth. And if you don't preserve, the earth is going to rot away. If you don't preserve, culture is going to start stinking pretty badly. If you don't preserve, things are going to go downhill really, really fast. I think that's what Jesus is saying. And, and Jesus is, is saying this to people who live in a world where people live and die by the sword. Diplomacy wasn't really a thing. Um, like political negotiation between um, <laughs> nations wasn't really a thing. The, the, the country that had the largest army won. The, countries, the country whose army had the longest swords won. That's how things were decided in this world. And that's who Jesus is speaking to. People who understand this. And he's saying, poor, meek, righteous, all that stuff, sad. And he says, you're the salt of the earth and I need you to preserve Essentially, Jesus is saying, you have no standing, but you are the last stand. 
You have no standing in this world. You have no influence politically. You have no influence financially. You, like, you, nobody knows who you are. Nobody cares who you are. You have no standing, but you are the last stand. You have to preserve the earth. And if you give up, if, if you stop preserving, if you just go with the flow and go with the flow of culture, like, you're going to see how bad it can really be. That's, that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. See, we, um, in, in, our, in our society today, we become appalled by racism. We become appalled by human trafficking. We become uh, appalled by, like, human rights injustices. And, and um, we just, we, we kind of think, like, oh, this is intuitive for everybody. Everybody knows that this is wrong. But there are actually cultures in our world who actively participate in those things and think nothing wrong of it. They actively participate in racism. They actively participate in slavery, and, and that's just a part of who they are. But we see that, and we're appalled by it. But it's not intuitive. It's, it's not like human nature. Our country was founded on Judeo-Christian ethic, which means like the, the teaching of Jesus is the foundation of our country. And we understand who we are, that we're supposed to be soft. We're supposed to be the preservative of the earth, and we see the, the racism, and we're appalled by it because we know it's destroying the earth. We see human trafficking, and we're appalled by it because we know it's, it's rotting the earth. We're supposed to be preservers. We're supposed to be preservers, and those things are actively destroying the earth. Jesus goes on in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. But Jesus, I don't want to be a light. I don't want to be a light. I just want to be a Christian. I just want to have my family, and I just want to do my job, and I just want to go on vacations, and I just want to have, like, cool things, like cool little toys and tinker, and, like, I just want to have a nice, comfortable life, and then when I die, I want to go to heaven. That's what I want, Jesus. I think that's how most followers of Jesus think. And if Jesus ever heard us verbalize it like that, I think he would say, who in the world taught you that? Who in the world taught you? I didn't call you a Christian. You're salt. You're light. You're supposed to preserve. You're supposed to show the way. But Jesus, I just want to pray that magic prayer that fixes everything. Like, who taught you that? And, and when Jesus said this too, when, when, when Jesus said this to his followers, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, they had no idea how big the world actually was. They knew about the Roman Empire. That's about it. People didn't really travel more than 100 miles in that time because they always traveled by foot or like by donkey. And, and so like they didn't really travel super far. So they didn't have a great grasp on how big the world actually was. They didn't understand that North America existed, Central America, South America. Like they probably didn't know about the Far East. They didn't know about Australia. They didn't know about how big the world actually was. And Jesus says, you're the light of the world you don't even know exists yet. You're the light of that world. There's so much out there that you don't know about, and you're the light of that world. You're the salt of that world. And Jesus says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
towns um, in this part of the world were strategically placed on hills, strategically placed on hills so that people could see them at night as, as if they're traveling at night um, or they're traveling, you know, whatever. Um, they could see that there's a city coming up or they, you know, that kind of thing. They were strategically placed so that people could see them from far off. And, and Jesus is saying like, I've strategically placed you right where you're at. And not just right where you're at, I've strategically placed you at this point in time. I believe that with everything inside me, that we are here at this location in this point in time for a purpose. Even though it's chaotic in our world, even though like everything is being turned upside down, we are here at this point in time for a reason. Jesus strategically placed us here. Pastor Ryan, you don't understand. God didn't strategically place me here. Like, the Air Force brought me here. That wasn't strategic. The Air Force just moved me. We just ended up here because that's where the Air Force had us. Or Pastor Ryan, God didn't strategically place me here. Like, I got a promotion in my job and my company moved me here. I, I didn't even know where Delaware was on the map. Like, God didn't strategically place me here. What are you talking about? Or maybe you could look at it from the other angle. Pastor Ryan, God didn't strategically place me here. I was just born here. My parents were born here. My grandparents lived here their entire life. We just existed here and we never moved. God didn't place me here. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand how my kingdom works. Nothing, even though it seems random to you, you are strategic light right where you are. You're strategic preserver right where you are. I have a purpose for you right here. Jesus goes on, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. And then this is how we read the next part. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see that they may see your church attendance and say, dang, he's a good Christian. That's how we read the next part. I go to church. I prayed that prayer. My faith is in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. Leave me alone. What do you want from me? I'm a Christian. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is so powerful. So incredibly powerful to me. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I want you to live your life in such a way that people, when people look at you, they see God. He's not talking to Pastor Ryan. He's talking to his disciples. I want you to live your life in such a way that when people look at you, they see God. I don't know if that's intimidating to you. It's a little intimidating to me. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's possible. The goal isn't for people to think you're a nice person. The goal isn't for people to think you're a good person. The goal is for, for, for people to see God in you because you're like a mirror. That's why one of our core values here is reflecting. Um, initially, when, um, when I kind of introduced those core values, I got a question like reflecting, like spending time thinking and meditating reflecting? Like, no, like being a mirror reflecting. Like we're supposed to reflect God to a hurting and broken and lost world. We're supposed to live our lives in such a way that people see God. That's that core value straight from this verse. 
Live your life in such a way that when people see you, they see God. That way, everyone will praise our Heavenly Father. Some people are great at this. Some people are just Christians hoping to make it to heaven one day. And, and Jesus is saying, I never called you a Christian. I never called my followers Christians. I'm, I'm telling you who you are. You're salt. You're the salt of the earth. Preserve. You're the light of the world. Light the way. Show the way. That's who you are. Um, in the first century, the, the followers of Jesus embodied this. Um, when children were discarded for whatever reasons, Christians would take them in and make them a part of their family. Kids were regularly discarded. Kids had zero value. Kids had zero rights in this world. And when kids were discarded, thrown away, you know, left for dead, Christians would take them in and make them a part of their family. When diseases would hit cities or when plagues would come and hit the cities and everybody who wasn't sick would run for the hills, the Christians stayed and they cared for the sick. They cared for the infirm. They cared for the dying because they're the salt of the earth. They're the light of the world. They're the preservers. And many, many Christians lost their lives because they were caring for sick people because they're the salt of the earth. They're the light of the world. In a matter of a couple hundred years, the world was turned upside down because of these Christ followers, because of these disciples. And, and not, because of, not because of awesome preaching, not because of good worship music, not because they had church buildings everywhere. Listen, really quickly, listen. I hear a lot about a church building. Like, we need to get a church building. And I want a church building just as much as everybody, but I hear things like, when we have a church building, that's when we'll start growing, or when we have a church building, that's when we'll be able to inter in impact people. These Christ followers never had a church building. They didn't have sound systems and lights, and they didn't, they didn't have computers and screens. They, they didn't have any of that. And they were the salt of the earth. They were the light of the world. I would sell all of this stuff if we would decide today to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. None of this stuff matters to me. We can meet in a field for all I care, as long as we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Here's what I think Jesus is saying to us today. Don't settle for being a Christian. Be salt. Preserve. Don't settle for being a Christian. Be light. Shine the way to the Father. Uh, salt, in addition to being a uh, a preserver, salt is also an irritant. Have you ever gotten anything salty inside like a cut or an open wound? It hurts, it irritates it. I think Jesus would say, like when he's saying be, be the salt of the earth, be just irritating enough with your life that you cause people to question the way they live theirs. <laughs> not like annoying, not like overbearing, but like Live your life in such a way that it irritates people because they don't understand why you have so much joy. They don't understand how you can just push through when everybody else says to quit. Be, be just irritating enough that you cause people to, to question the way they live their life. Be salt. Be light. Think about, think about your own story for a second. The reason you're here, the reason you're in a relationship with the Lord, if you are, 
is because somebody was salt and light to you. Somebody was salt and light for you. You maybe probably, they probably didn't even know it. They probably didn't even realize that they were being salt and light, but, but they were salt and light for you and it changed everything. They were just being true to who Jesus called them to be and you noticed. For me, a college kid named Corey was salt and light for me when I was fresh out of high school. He probably didn't even know it, but the way he lived his life caused me to question everything I thought was true. And not, not in a condemning way, in, in a, a way that like spurred me to curiosity, right? I saw something different in him. And, and looking back, looking back, I can say that Corey being in my life was providential. God placed him there strategically, 100% without a doubt. But if you would have asked Corey back then, he wouldn't have said that. To him, I was just some, some kid that he met at a public pool, and we both liked football, we both liked video games, and we enjoyed hanging out with each other. Like, like if you would have asked Corey back then, that's why, that's why like, we got into each other's lives, because we like, liked the same things. But like, looking back, 100% God put him in my life on purpose, strategically, and it changed everything for me. It changed everything for me. He was a city on a hill, and now... I know my heavenly father. Now I know my God-given purpose. Now I know the assurance I have in my eternity. And it's all because Corey didn't settle for being a Christian. He was salt and light. No matter where you are today, I believe that you are a strategically placed light. Wherever you're at in in your family, wherever you're at, in your job or school or whatever, you are strategically placed light. You're exactly where God has, has put you, and you're there for a reason, to impact your circle of influence. Now, you might, you might hear that and say, well, nice try, Pastor Ryan. I have no influence at my job, or I have no influence in my school, or my family thinks I'm a joke, or like my friends don't take me seriously. Nice try, Pastor Ryan. No, 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 no. You don't understand. Salt always preserves. Light always shines the way. Always. That's what I know. Salt always preserves even when we can't see it working. Salt always preserves even when we don't know it's there. Always. We're salt and light. You might hear this and say, like, well, Pastor Ryan, like, talking about religion is, is not okay, according to HR at my company, or Pastor Religion is against school policy or whatever. T- talking about religion is against school policy. Like, I'm not talking about preaching. I'm not talking about, like, shouting people down or quoting scripture. That's not what I'm talking about. Live your life in such a way that people see God in you. They see God through you. When everyone else is negative, you're bringing the positive. When everyone else is complaining, you're encouraging salt and light. When everyone else is trying to figure out how to do the least amount of work without getting fired, you're going above and beyond with excellence, salt and light. That kind of stuff stands out. People notice that stuff. Live your life in such a way that people start connecting the dots between your good deeds and our Heavenly Father. Salt and light. You have no idea who you're going to affect by letting your good deeds shine. 
None. You have, you have no idea who's watching you. You have no idea who's listening to you when you're, when you're being salt, when you're being light. You have no idea who's on the brink of experiencing God's love and grace, and, and they're watching you. You have no idea. I have no idea who's watching me. And you may actually never know who you win to the Lord because you're salt and light. You may never know who you've impacted by being salt and light. I have a quick, quick story for you. It's... it's is really humbling, um, and and I don't tell this to like pat myself on the back. You'll you'll understand at the end when I bring it all together. But I'll I'll just tell you a story. When I when I moved to Tennessee, this is a true story by the way. When I moved to Tennessee when I was 28 uh, to be, Robin and I were youth pastors. Um, I I changed the phone number I had for a really long time. I don't know if I ever told you this story, Robin. Uh, it's kind of crazy, but. Um, I had this phone number for years and years and years when I lived in Nebraska, and everybody I knew, right, like friends and people that I ministered to and mentored and all that stuff, they all had this number. Well, when I went to Tennessee, I changed my number, lost my number, and I forgot to tell some people, uh, not on purpose, like I just forgot. Um, And so uh, about six months after uh, I got this new phone number, uh, I got a call from one of my Nebraska friends, his name is Jeremiah, and I answered the phone, like, you know, Hey, Jeremiah, what's going on? He goes, Ryan, you're amazing, man. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, uh, he, he starts telling me about like how he, the last six months, he'd just been trying to encourage me through text, right? Just, uh, you know, like, I'm praying for you, bro. I love you, bro. I think you're going to do awesome things, you know, that kind of thing. But it's just real general, you know, like never called me by name, just general. And this, my old number, he was texting my old number. And somebody would respond every time, thanks, just thanks, single word, thanks, thanks, thanks. Like this guy responding, this person responding had no idea who was texting him. He's just trying to like avoid confrontation or something. And so anyways, Jeremiah is sending these texts to my old numbers, praying for you, love you, you're going to do awesome, you're great, thank whatever. Well, one day, Jeremiah sends a text, he feels prompted to send a text thanking me for the role I had in his life and like helping him grow in his relationship with God. And almost not even five minutes after he sent the text, he got a call from this number. And this guy is like, hey, man, I don't know who you're texting, but I think you have the wrong number, you know, that kind of thing. And, and Jeremiah is like, you know, I'm sorry, man. Like, he's telling me all this, like, secondhand. He's like, I'm sorry, man. I thought, you know, this was this guy's number. He must have changed his number. That didn't mean to bother you, whatever. And the guy goes, are you going to tell everybody else who's been texting me that his number changed? And Jeremiah's like, what do you mean? He goes, well, about a half dozen other people have been texting me kind of the same things, praying for you, love you, thank you, like all that kind of stuff. So like all these people who I'd been in their life had been trying to text me, encouraging things and, you know, thanking me and all that. And um, I wasn't getting it obviously because I changed my number, but this, this, other guy was getting it now. He was seeing all these encouraging texts. He was seeing all these people thank me for being salt and light in their life. And this guy, Jeremiah's like, yeah, I'll let him know. And this guy's like, so who is this Ryan guy? He sounds pretty amazing, you know, whatever. And Jeremiah got to tell him, right, he's like this, this leader in my church and he's just been awesome guy, you know, that kind of thing, whatever, like whatever he said. And this guy was blown away that it had to do with like church stuff, like a church leader? All of this is for a church leader? And so, like, you got to tell me about this guy. Like, <laughs> this, this guy who had my old number tells Jeremiah, tell me about this Ryan guy. I need to know about this guy. I mean, he'd been getting 
my texts for six months, right? And so Jeremiah told him about me, and basically Jeremiah got to share the gospel with him and invite him to church, all because I was salt and light to, to people like that had nothing to do with this guy. Now, again, I don't say this to pat myself on the back. I say this to make the point, you have no idea who your life is going to impact. You have no idea who your words are going to impact. You have no idea who your good deeds are going to impact. I directly impacted, or indirectly impacted somebody by the way I live my life. Somebody I'd never met, somebody I probably will never meet. I impacted this person's life, and now that guy who had, who had my old number, he got a glimpse at the Heavenly Father because I was salt and light to some people who had nothing to do with him. Salt and light. Salt and light. Salt always preserves. Light always shines the way. And when we're salt and light, it can change everything. It has the potential to change everything. Uh, worship team, you can come up to the platform. Let's not settle for being Christians. I don't want to just settle for being a Christian. I want to be a disciple. I want to be salt. I want to be light. Let's not settle for being Christians. Let's instead pray that God would make us more effective salt, that God would make us more effective light. And as God answers those prayers, who knows what he'll begin to do in your family? As God begins to answer those prayers, who knows what he's going to do within your coworkers? Who knows what he's going to do within your students, Vicki? Who knows? Who knows what he's going to do within your workplace? Who knows what he's going to do within uh, the school system? Who knows what he's going to do within within the government buildings? Who knows what he's going to do within our communities when, when he begins to answer these questions? Let's not settle for being Christians. Let's, let's pray to be more effective salt, more effective light. Who knows what he's going to do? Like the early Christ followers in Rome, who knows what he's going to do throughout the world? They changed the world. Maybe he wants to change the world through us. Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you. Thank you so much for the call to be salt and light. God, you, you have so much more for us than just being Christians. We're your disciples. We're your followers. We're your students. We're your pupils. We are salt and light. We're the preservers of the earth. God, I pray that you help us understand what that really means. Help us take that to heart. Help it really sink down deep into our heart, into our soul, into our spirit, God. And teach us how to preserve. Teach us how to shine the way. Teach us how to live our lives in such a way that people see you in us. We can't do it without you, God. We can't do it without your Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. We love you, God. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.
What we're going to do right now is we're going to observe uh, communion. If you have your communion emblems, you can uh, prepare them. Uh, we're going to take the bread first and then, then the, the cup. Um, but before we do that, I want to read uh, a couple of verses for you. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 28 says this. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is representative of the body and blood of our savior, the body and blood of, of the one we worship, the one we call Lord. Uh, and scripture tells us that, that we do this to remember. We do this to remember what he, he did for us, to, 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 to remember who he's called us to be. And um, scripture also says that before we take of it, that we should examine ourselves, that we be in right standing with him. So um, some people have the, have the mindset that like, oh, I've, I've, just, I've had a bad week, so I probably shouldn't do it. No, now's the time. Now is the time to get get right with the Lord. If that's what, if that's the the way you want to talk about it or whatever. Now is the time to to repent. Now is the time to come back. Now is the time to realign your life with Him. That's what this is for—to remember and to realign. And so, what I want to do right now is I just want to take a moment of uh, just uh, a private moment, uh, uh, quietly, and just just reflect and just examine yourselves and and just. Um, just come, come back to him wherever, wherever you've fallen short this week. Confess it and, and lay it at his feet. Let's just take a moment right now. Thank you, Jesus. We are salt and light. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's how we change the world. That's how we change our nation. That's how we change our state. That's how we change this city. That's how we change our families. We're salt and light. Salt always preserves. Light always shows the way. Really quickly before I dismiss, I just have a few next steps that I want to give us. And these next steps are just tangible things that we can do throughout the week to take the message and apply it to our lives. So uh, the first one is this week I will memorize Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When we memorize the word and we have the word inside of us, it does something to us. So I want to challenge you, memorize that this week. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The second one is this week, I will do a random act of kindness for someone in my life. Maybe it's someone that you know here. Maybe it's someone at your work. Maybe it's, maybe it's a random stranger in the drive-thru at McDonald's. I don't know. But let your good deeds shine that everybody can see your heavenly Father. And then the last one is simple. Today, I will honor a mother in my life. Again, if you have, if you have your mom, that's awesome. If, if you, you don't, honor a mother figure 
in your life. Honor somebody who has been a mother or like a mother. So um, let's let's take care of our moms today. So uh, everyone stand with me. I'm going to say one last prayer then we can be dismissed. God, we love you. We thank you, God, that you've called us to be more than Christians. You've called us to be disciples. You've called us to be students. You've called us to be salt and light. Teach us what it means to preserve and teach us what it means to show the way. And finally, Jesus declares that we are salt and light. May we, by faith, preserve the world with love and through light dispel all darkness. Amen. 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 Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great Mother's Day. We will see you next week. And mothers, get your Mother's Day gift at the table out in the lobby.